I mentioned a moment ago, this has been a, a, a special week at Wake Chapel Church. Our young folks with some wonderful chaperones have been in the D.C. and, and the Baltimore area uh, working on putting roofing on houses, uh, all kinds of things to help, po- help folks who live there. And we are grateful to the Lord for that. This morning we have another benediction from heaven. And that is the Hollands are with us. I believe God has been especially good to Wake Chapel Church. In that, he has raised up from our church missionaries. Some people might not like the term. I like it, homegrown. These are our people. And more than one, uh, God has been pleased to raise up to do this. We have a couple here this morning. Uh, So I thank God for that. I think it is a special benediction from heaven that God has seen fit. And may I say, parents, it is an affirmation of what you're teaching your children at home, too. Sunday school teachers, an affirmation of what you're teaching in Sunday school. To love the Lord Jesus. And to serve him. So the Lord has been beyond gracious to us. And in just a moment, Ashley Holloman will come and share with us. But before he comes, I want to say a word about a book that I'm in possession of. I know that many of you have one also. I hope that since you've gotten it, you've read it at least once. Uh, This is my, I think, third time through. Seated in Christ. And uh, Heather Holloman is the author of this book. I would like to read one verse of Scripture from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 6. Well, let me read verses 5 and 6. And when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that's where the title comes from, Seated with Christ. Um, May I say to you, uh, I've thought about uh, Heather and Ashley being with us this Sunday and And I have looked through my library here in my office and a smaller library that I have at home. And all told, I have some 15 to 18 books, um, commentaries on the book of Ephesians. And most of them are pretty good. But I would like to say to you, that in not a single one of the 17 or 18 commentaries that I have on the book of Ephesians, there's not one of them that deals with Ephesians 2.6 in the intensely practical and winsome way that Heather does in this book. Not a one of them. Uh, I love the way she writes. She has a grasp of biblical truth. That's first. But then she has a, 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 
a winsome way of writing, I think. I just enjoy reading her. I think if she were reading on how to put together a carburetor and an engine, I'd like it. Uh, she just has a way with words, and she writes beautifully. And she's writing about biblical truth. She puts being seated with Christ in such intensely practical words. Do you know that you're seated with Christ? Well, if we ask you on the way out this morning, please take about two sentences and tell me what you think being seated with Christ means. You need to read a book. If you don't have one, um, we'll see that you get one. Okay? Seated with Christ. So, uh, Ashley, forgive me for uh, touting your sweet wife. You got a lot to live up to, fella. <laughs> I tease him. He knows we love both he, his family, and his two daughters. It is good to see you. We're glad that all of you are here. Have you heard Dad bring this message before? Really? Well, this will be the first time then. Ashley, we welcome you. Thank you for letting us partner with you in reaching Penn State University faculty and students on campus. Welcome, brother. Welcome home. Thank you. Appreciate that. Got to turn on the new sound system. I think we're good. You, you promised, I think, up there that whatever I said would be right. That's part of the new deal. Um, so it translates whatever I say into biblical truth, which would be great. Um, it's a great, a great system. It's really, really great to be here. Um, we've had a wonderful two weeks with my mom and dad. We've been at the lake. Um, uh, Sarah and Kate and their cousins have spent two weeks together in close quarters, and they've done wonderfully. It's just been a blessing to see them have that time together. And we're delighted and grateful to be here and to be with you and back with our church family. Um, we're just really grateful for your partnership with us over the last, I think it's now 14 or 15 or 16 years. Um, we would not be able to do what we're doing without what you guys are doing with us and through us. And we're just really grateful. And I want to take some time this morning to um, tell you about what God has been up to. We have stepped into a new role with crew, and we want to tell you about that. And I want to tell you a little bit of the backstory of that. Um, and um, tell you what we're trusting God for. Tell you some things we've seen him do over the last year. And through it all, um, I hope we make much of Jesus. I hope, in particular this morning, um, we make much of his kindness and his gentleness and his mercy and his compassion. That's something I've been really learning uh, this past, past year. Before I do that, I forgot one thing. Sarah is my oldest. Can you wave, Sarah? She's, I just I had to embarrass her. She's 14 and Kate is 11. So we're transitioning into high school and middle school next year. Um, so it's a fun, big year for us. Um, but but um, the scriptures say in Romans 2 that it's God's kindness. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Psalm 18.2 says um, it's God's gentleness that makes us great. Of all the things that make us great, it's his gentleness. And then Exodus 34.6 says, even though it says... 
The God is a just God. He's a holy God. He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, those who have not come underneath his forgiveness. It says this about him, the Lord, he says this about himself, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. And then Jesus himself says in Matthew 9, um, 13, but go and learn what this means I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And I think what he's saying there is the right heart response that he desires to his compassion is that we would be full of compassion, that it wouldn't be just an external religious kind of response, but an internal heart compassion, that those who have been forgiven much forgive much, that those who have experienced much of God's mercy give away much of God's mercy to those around us. We learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. And Matthew 9, from 13 to the end of the chapter, has been the passage of Scripture that I've been thinking a lot about this summer and dealing with God's compassion and kindness. And it's the passage I'd like to kind of use to, um, as the background for what I want to talk about this morning. And so if you'd like to turn there, I invite you to do so. We're in Matthew chapter 9. Um, 13 through the end of the chapter, and we're not going to really unpack it a lot. I really would like to give more of a ministry update, but I would like to ground it in the gospel and ground it in the scriptures. Um, and so we'll spend a little bit of time there. Um, I should get my phone out. Um, yeah, not playing Pokemon, um, but I got to keep a check of the time. Um, when Jesus says, go and learn what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners, he's responding to a question that the Pharisees asked him, like, you know, Jesus, there he goes again, he's misbehaving, he's hanging out with the sinners, what's going on? And Jesus responds to them with that, with that response, oh, that, they, I would, that you would learn this, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. And he's going to take the rest of Matthew 9, I think, to, to teach what he means by that, about compassion, that he's a compassionate one. And he does that in two ways. First, by asking, answering another question, and then by living it out in his ministry. And so in verse 14, it's not the Pharisees this time, it's John the Baptist's disciples whose hearts have to be closer to God. It says, they come to him asking, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and a worse tear results. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wineskins burst, and the wine pours out, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. And what I love about this passage, and the next the rest of chapter 9, is he doesn't just go on and continue kind of pontificating about that. He actually goes and does it. He goes and shows um, what this kind of new wine, new wineskin looks like. And so he answers this question, why aren't you fasting? He says, well, he basically, and we can't unpack this whole scripture this morning, but I think the big idea of what he says is, when I show up, everything changes. When Jesus shows up, the status quo is blown away. It's no longer business as usual. He doesn't come to fit into our plans. He calls us to fit into his. Everything changes by his very presence. Why aren't they fasting? Because Jesus is there, right? And he's not, just, he's not just the means to something greater. He is the something greater. So what else wouldn't you be doing but just enjoying him? 
And I want to unpack a little bit more with what he does in verses 18 and following. But before I do, I want to tell you a little bit about my story and how we got to where we are. Um, Crew has called us to a new role to direct Crew's graduate ministry. Um, Crew is formerly Campus Crusade for Christ. We work with college campuses and all over the world um, with undergraduate students, with professors, and now with graduate students. Um, and that wasn't always the, always the case. In fact, when I, was started, when I started graduate school in uh, 1998, um, I was part of a crew ministry for graduate students, and I just assumed that that was happening everywhere, but it wasn't. But what happened was I saw my entire life change. I had seen my life completely change here at Wake Chapel through the ministry of this church. Uh, and then when I went to graduate school, I knew I wanted to live for God, but didn't know what that entirely meant as a graduate student. But and God showed me, and he changed everything. I met my wife. It was a huge blessing. I saw my best friend in the department come to faith. Um, I understood for the first real time the role of the Holy Spirit in my life. Gosh, you know, the Christian life is not just hard. It's really impossible apart from God's power. And I learned what that meant and the freedom that that gave me. And and God captured my heart for the Great Commission and for himself. And so I'm super excited. All these things are happening. I'm starting to learn about Crew or Campus Crusade at the time. Uh Uh-oh. and um, I'm assuming that my experience is normal for every other graduate student, master's, PhD student in the country and world. And so I talked to the guy who's discipling me. I said, Chuck, why haven't you introduced me to all the other graduate students involved with crew around the world, I, or the country at least? I wanna, I'm imagining being a professor. I'm going to um, you know, network with them, 40 years of, of doing ministry with them together as professors. And um, he goes, oh, that can't really happen, Ashley. I said, like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, that doesn't happen. I said, well, wait a minute. We're Campus Crusade for Christ. We're supposed to be everywhere. And he goes, not for graduate students. Not yet. And I just remember feeling just really kind of sunk down, like kind of a gut punch, like, oh, man, I wish that were different. And um, went home, and I don't know when it was, next few days or maybe longer, and I began to pray. And I prayed two things, and I said, God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for bringing me to Michigan. If I had gone to anywhere else in the country or the world, I would not have had the last year and a half of my life. Thank you. You're a gracious, kind, compassionate God. You're so good. And then I got mad. Uh, I said, wait a minute. Why does it have to be that way? Why do I have to go to the only university almost in the world for this to happen? And what about the other three million graduate students? What are they going to do? And so I prayed, and it had to be the Holy Spirit because it was really out of character for me. And I said, Jesus, um, by the time I die, would you please let me see that graduate students have the same opportunity to be a part of crew or a movement like crew as our undergraduate students do. By the time I lay my head on the pillow and close my eyes for the last time, would you please, please, please let me see that you've done this? And I went to bed, and uh, I thought maybe I'd be a professor, I'd give money to it, I'd pray for it, and that would be just kind of a fun, cool thing to pray, pray for for a lifetime. Well, God never released me from that prayer, and a year later we joined staff with crew. Um, and for the last 17 years, we've been trusting God for that prayer. God, would you do this? Would you do this? And last year, God did it. And it's really, really been fun and exciting to see. And so last August or last July, Crew decided to announce that we're going to throw the same resources, the same intentionality um, of reaching graduate students that we have been throwing t- towards reaching undergraduate students for the last 65 years. And the crazy thing is, is that they asked me to lead it. And so I get to do that, uh, and which is just really, really fun. And, and, you know, if I were a god and putting a short list together of people to do it, I don't think I would have made it, um, honestly. I think it's just God's kindness. I remember a few years ago, Kate was helping me shovel the driveway, and she was a lot younger and a lot less helpful. And, um, 
no, I, just, I want to be honest with you. And, and so I just kind of shoot her inside because she was going to make more work than good. And the Holy Spirit got a hold of my heart. And he says, maybe she just wants to spend time with you. I was like, oh, you're right. Don't you want to spend time with your girl? I was like, yeah, you're right. So next time that came up, I said yes. And she's actually become a really good snow shoveler. Um, <laughs> but more importantly, I'm spending time with my girl, right? And I think that's what God is doing. It's like, you know, I really don't need Ashley to do this, but I'd love to do this with him. I'd love to spend time with Ashley. And I think we could do that together if he would trust me for something great. Again, it's just the kindness, compassion, and mercy of God. Um, and so um, we are trusting the Lord um, to do what we've been seeing him do at Penn State University all over the world. There's three million graduate students. And so we're trusting him to build movements of graduate students and professors um, to see the gospel come within arm's reach of every single grad student in the world. Um, And so we don't think about what would it take to reach the next graduate student. We think about what would it take to reach the three millionth graduate student? What is she doing? What is he doing? They're probably on campus right now. They don't don't know Jesus. They're not probably valuing being in a church right now. But Jesus sees them and he knows them. And they don't know that they need him. But he does, right? And what would it take to reach her with the gospel? And so we'd say, okay, God, teach us how to reach that three millionth student. Let's put a plan together and go reach her. And in the the meantime, we're going to reach every other one in between as well. So we're really trusting God, not for the next one, but for the last one. And then what would it take over the next few, few decades to see that happen? I love that we get to put ourselves to that and see what God will do. Um, So it's not only about reaching every graduate student, but it's an incredibly strategic opportunity um, to raise up the next generation of Christian professors. That's the other thing why I'm so excited about this is that could you imagine what would happen on our campuses if every student had an opportunity to take a class with at least one Christian professor who loved Jesus who was not shy about making him known, who found appropriate and effective ways to help every student that they taught come to know him. Wouldn't that be incredible? Or if every campus had a a movement, a community of Christian professors that were caring for and owning the spiritual climate on that campus. Could you imagine what would happen on our campuses for the gospel if, if the owners of the campus, not the visitors, which are students, but the owners of the campus, the professors, um, saw the whole spiritual climate on that campus change? And then imagine what would happen in our world if in every discipline, in politics, in history, in science, in medicine, had a um, body of Christian professors that were helping to shape the next generation of what that field would go after. That could be really, really, it could really change the world. And so it's not just reach, about reaching every student, it's about reaching the next generation of, of professors. And so we're super excited about that. So what this looks like is a movement on every campus where students would be given the opportunity to, to say yes to Jesus. And we do those in, 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 there's three kind of hallmarks or pieces of what we're trusting God for, um, where, we, where that could happen, where every student at Penn State, every student at Carolina, at NC State, at any university you could think of in the nation and the world, um, would have an opportunity to, to, to see the gospel come within arm's reach of themselves. Uh, And we see that, interestingly, or not maybe surprisingly, in Matthew uh, 9, uh, 18 and following. And I'm just going to read this. um, And I want you to see what Jesus did. I want you to see um, um, what he does. He says we're going to do something new. Things are going to change. And this is what we're going to go do. And then he he goes to do it. And And I hope you can read it maybe for the first time with fresh eyes. 
Like maybe imagine hearing this for, for I don't, you don't know maybe who Jesus is or much about him. Could he be this good? Could he be this kind? Could he be this compassionate? Just read it for the first time. And also notice as we're reading how many times he touches or how many times people touch him and how that, the kindness of God comes through. So let me read in verses 18 through um, 34. While he was saying these things to him, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. It's incredible faith. Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, for she was saying to herself, If I only touch his garment, I'll get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her faith, said, Daughter, take courage, your faith has made you well, that once the woman was made well. And when Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd and noisy disorder, he said, Leave, for the girl has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. And this news spread throughout all that land. And as Jesus went on from there, it continues, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy! Have mercy on us, son of David! And when he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they say to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all that land. And, as there, and it continues, as they were going out, a mute demon-possessed man was brought to him. And after the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. Other, other I think, translations said that they marveled and were saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying, he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. There's a few things. He's talking about physical healing here. If you saw it in other, other, the other Gospels, you, and you see it constantly, he doesn't just bring physical healing at these times. He brings spiritual healing. It's, it's ultimately what he does. And the greatest healing that God does is that he heals the human heart. Right? He brings not just physical healing, but he brings spiritual healing he takes dead men and women and makes us live again, right? He says he turns our heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Yes, he does wonderful things, and he can, even today, I think, he can bring healing physically, but the greatest healing that he does is that he brings spiritual healing. He makes our hearts well again. The other thing that's, that I see here is that they both marveled, but were also incredibly expectant. Did you see that? It says that they were amazed and marveled, but they also just said, if you do this, I know what's going to happen. I love that. I, I want to be able to do both. I want to be able to still marvel and worship at Jesus, but also just know that it's going to happen and become expectant. I walk into a grocery store, right? And I don't just like that they've got food there. Why? Because that's what grocery stores do. They sell food, Right? And yet, sometimes I'm, that God saves a life. But that's what God does. We sang it this morning, Jesus saves. And I want my heart and my life, my faith to grow so that when I meet a person, when I walk into a grocery store, I expect food. And when I walk into a person's life, I expect God to move, right? I don't think I'll ever get to heaven. And he said, Ashley, your faith was too big. You, you know, you, you just overshot it. I wish you would have dialed it back, you know. I'll never get there. Um... And we're trusting, and that same hallmark of what captured Jesus' ministry, the idea of re- rescuing, saving people, is what's res- a hallmark 
of our movements that we're building with graduate students. Within crew, we call it win. We call it save, rescue, seeing people come to know Jesus. And let me tell you a quick story, one update and a quick story of seeing people come to know faith. And we're just, we believe Jesus is incomprehensibly magnificent and we want everyone to know him. And their life can change by knowing him and he's worthy to be known. Uh, we've told you about Joanne, one of our, one of our neighbors and friends who's a professor. She was steeped in the New Age movement. And we, I think we've told you that story a couple of times of how she's come to faith. Her two children came to faith pretty early on, but her husband has not come to faith when we last were with you. Well, last August, he was baptized. He came to know Jesus, was baptized in our church, and they're walking with Jesus. It is so great to be just dear friends of them. God has saved an entire family, and their lives are completely changed. And I wish you, you're going to meet them one day because they're going to be in heaven. And it's just, I wish I had more time, I'd tell you more of that story. But the other story, the story I want to tell you this morning is we'll call him Jim. It's a neighbor of ours. He's Mormon. And he's been struggling. We've known him for about four or five years, and Jim has been really struggling with his, with his faith, with his church. And that's allowed us to have a lot of spiritual conversations. And um, um, we go back and forth on, on different things that we talk about. But we got stuck a few weeks ago, and when I get stuck, I just tend to ask questions, which maybe I should get stuck more often, because uh, questions are really, really good. And I, and I had been encouraging him to read the Gospels. I said, you know, I don't think you should, he wanted to know, what, what if I leave the Mormon church, which church do I go to, which denomination? I said, you know what, why don't you, see, think, why don't you look at Jesus and figure out who he is and what you want to do with him, and the church thing will take care of itself. Let's focus on Jesus. And he goes, okay. And so a few weeks ago, I asked him what he was learning about Jesus and the Gospels, and he said, you know, it's really interesting you ask that. This is what I've been learning. He goes, every time my church talks about God's love, they talk about it as being conditional. Like, if, if I do right, he loves me. If I don't do right, he doesn't love me. He says, but I read the Gospels, and when Jesus talks about love, he seems to think it's unconditional. I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. And then he says, and he, it was just such an honest moment, I think I like Jesus' view of love better than my church's. I was like, ah, oh, isn't that great? And I said, you know, Jim, has anyone ever taken the chance to share with you the, kind of the orthodox Christian understanding of how to know God personally? I was basically asking him to invite me to share the gospel with him. He goes, no. And I said, well, if we ever had a chance to do that, would you be open to that? And he goes, yeah, I'd love to. And so we made lunch to go get buffet sushi a week later, um, which was good in and of itself. But we walk through the gospel, and we get to the very end of a gospel presentation, and there's a prayer there that it's an opportunity for him to respond. And uh, I said, you know, I explained the words aren't magical. Saying these won't make you a believer. Not saying these won't keep you from being a believer. But really, it's do these words match the desire of your heart? And I just paused, and he said, they don't. Oh, but I want them to. I really want them to. I want this to be true. I just don't know if it is yet or not. And so we're continuing to, to have conversations. He's, his wife is a grad student. That's why they were in town. They're, she just took a job at Cleveland State University, and they moved two weeks ago. Um, so we're just believing that we'll continue to, you know, with technology, we'll have face, we'll FaceTime and all that, but we're believing God for believers in their neighborhood to pray, pray for Jim and his family. But I just loved his honesty, right? I love Jesus' view of love better than my churches. Isn't that good? Um, well, we don't just win. We see Jesus not just winning and saving and rescuing, but we see him building. He says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, this is verse 35, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So he didn't just save them and leave them alone. He built them up. 
He taught them. He made disciples. He taught them about what the kingdom life was like and what it was like to live in the kingdom. And that's a hallmark of, our, of Crew's ministry as well. It's not only do we win, but we build. And one of my favorite stories on the build focus that we, or priority that we have is um, our first year trumpet student this year, master's trumpet performance student. He's an incredible trumpet player. His name is James. Uh, has a church background. Not sure exactly where he is spiritually. Probably a believer. I'm not sure. He, he, he's still, he was, at the time, still trying to work that out. But we do a lot of things to build into our students' lives, Bible studies, weekly meetings, one-on-one discipleship. We also have conferences that they can go to, and so we have this conference in, or, in Daytona Beach every spring break. It's called Big Break. And here's the big idea, is it's an evangelism training conference. We take our students there. In the morning, five days for that whole week, five mornings are taught how to share their faith. In the afternoon, they go to the beach and practice that. And in the, in the evening, there's more discipleship and training and teaching from the scriptures. And so it's an incredibly immersive, great, great training opportunity. And we're sending graduate students for the very first time. And um, we've never sent graduate students before. It's an undergraduate conference. And guess who wants to go? The last person in our ministry that I expect would go, it's James. I mean, James, just in December, was not sure where he even thought about God. And he goes, I'll go. I want to learn how to share my faith. We're like, really? Okay. Um, great. I mean, what do you say, right? I mean, I say, no, you can't go. Um, and, and so one of our staff members takes him, and it changes his life. Isn't God great? He goes to learn how to share his faith, and God captures his heart in the midst of it. I mean, talk about a person who's probably going to be sharing their faith for the rest of their lives, right? And so we were sitting on the, a little bench outside the music building, and he, he's just counting all the ways that God is starting to change his life. And he goes, I knew God beforehand, but I had no idea that Jesus could change a life and a heart as much as he does. My life is completely different. A week, three weeks later, I run into him on campus with another one of our grad students. I say, hey guys, what are you doing? They're just by themselves, not with staff members. Oh, we're out sharing our faith with people. We just thought we'd try out this new tool. Isn't that cool? It's like, yes. How about you come next Thursday and tell the rest of our students what you're doing? That'd be be really great. I love God. we, We build. We win. We build. And then the last thing we do, and we see here in this passage, and I'll have to start closing down, is that we, is we see that Jesus sins, and so we'll send. Jesus is winning, we'll win. If Jesus is building, we'll build. If Jesus is sending, we'll send. And we see this, look at what he says in verse 36, and this is where his compassion really comes, comes out. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech, beg, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Do you see that? His heart is over. I think it says his heart, his insides are all turned upside down within him at the needs of the people that they're distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And he's going to ultimately take care of that by going to the cross, Right? But he, look, he doesn't do that here. He doesn't, his response to this feeling of great compassion isn't to run to the cross at that moment. Look what he does. He turns to his disciples, and in response to what he's feeling, he says, harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Go, be sent, pray that God would send many, many into the harvest. And see, I, I tend to have this backwards, just being honest. I'm, I'm praying that God builds my faith. I tend to th- think and act sometimes that the harvest is few and the workers are plentiful, right? And if I think the harvest is few, oh, maybe one out of ten will come to faith. Well, then I'm not going to mobilize people to go, well, we've got plenty of people to meet one out of ten. 
But if I believe it's 9 out of 10, or much greater than 1 out of 10, of course I'm going to pray, because we've got, we don't have nearly as many people in the harvest as we need. And that doesn't mean going into full-time ministry necessarily. It just means taking the hope of Christ with you into the lives of anyone that God sends you into. And so he sends, and so that's what, what we do as well with, with crew, with our grad students, is that we send. Um, I'll tell you one, do I have a couple more minutes? Okay. Um, um, I'll tell you one story. I want to tell you about Courtney. It's one of my favorite stories. Um, Courtney is, uh, when she was, she's, a, edu- she's in education, PhD um, student in education, in math education. I think I've told some of this story maybe a couple of years ago at a Wednesday night. So if I did, just um, maybe enjoy it again. Um, but, um, but there has been some developments. And um, Courtney... Uh, came to our meeting, our Thursday night meeting, and this, is, this, is, this, this truly happened. She walked in and saw one of our volunteer staff and said, hi, I'm Courtney. Um, I'm, I, I grew up in a church, and I know there's something about knowing God, um, but I don't know what that means to know God. I don't know how that happens. Will you help me? So we said we were busy, we were setting up, and, you know, and no, no. She got involved with her ministry. She kept coming on Thursday nights. She kept hearing the gospel every week. She, got to, she was meeting with the staff woman once a week to, to walk through. And by January, she gave her life to Christ. Isn't that cool? I mean, that does not happen all the time. I wish it would happen more. So she walks in our doors, and, we can, and, and we've seen this, her, her life completely change. And, um, and so we fast forward a few months, and she gives her testimony at the end of her year. And I've not been working with her, and I have no idea what she's going to say. You know, I hope it's okay. I'm trusting that it's okay. Um, and um, she shares about coming to faith, and she goes, something else Scott has done. She came to graduate school to make better math teachers. She went to school at Bucknell, was a math teacher for four years, and was really passionate about math education as far as building up the next generation of math teachers. So math teachers in elementary school and middle school and high school. She goes, I think God brought me here originally to make better math teachers, and he still wants me to do that. Because what she's going to be doing for the next 40 years is teaching the teachers. She's going to be instructing those teachers how to teach in elementary, middle, and high school, right? Incredible opportunity for influence. And then she said, if God can change my life, he can change anybody's life. And so maybe, maybe I'm not supposed to make better math teachers only. Maybe I can see many of them come to know Jesus and then take the hope of Christ back with them into the classrooms and the elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be amazing? And she's going to have 40 years, thousands of students that are going to come to her door, and she's going to be able to invest in their lives for four years, teaching them about the kingdom, telling them about Jesus, helping them come to know him, and then sending them out um, to do that for this, our kids, your kids, in elementary, middle, and high school. Um, she had... Um, she had an, an opportunity. This, she came up this past fall or came up to me and said, you know, I'm about to graduate. She's actually extended it for another year, so she's going to be with us next year as well. She goes, but I just want to learn how to be a Christian professor. Could you help me do that? I said, sure. And at the same time, I started praying, God, would you please give her opportunities to share her faith? Because a lot of times ministry is more caught than taught. And um, sure enough, um, the other thing I should tell you about Courtney, I forgot to mention, is that she's a power lifter. Um, as you can imagine, there are not many powerlifting graduate students at Penn State. Um, so most of her friends are undergraduates. Ta-da! Isn't that great? Because that's who she, her audience is going to be for the next 40 years. It isn't graduate students or professors. It's undergraduates. So most of her friends are undergraduates. And one of her friends that she's been sharing and talking about, she talks about Jesus all the time. 
Um, his girlfriend came up last summer before coming to Penn State as a freshman, and he says, this is Courtney, my friend, she's a Christian. That was the only thing he said about her, and she was blown away by that. Well, fast forward until this girl, um, young woman, starts at Penn State this past fall, and she calls Courtney, and Courtney knows they've been having some relationship issues, and she wants to meet up to talk over coffee, and Courtney's like, oh, I do not want to get into a relationship issue. Um, but she agrees to, to, to meet with her, and guess what she says? She says almost the exact same thing that Courtney said to our staff woman three or four years ago. She says, ever since I knew that you were a Christian, God will not, get, will not let go of me. I know there's something about knowing him, but I don't know what that means. Can you help me? And that afternoon, she leads her to Christ. Isn't that cool? It's so cool for that student who's now involved with our ministry, undergrad ministry at Penn State. She's being discipled. She's rooming with Christians within crew and will be in, in Christian community the rest of her time at Penn State. But it's so great for Courtney to see God use her. See, Courtney, God can do that. He's going to do it time and time and time and time again. Why? Because he's the compassionate one, slow to anger, full of mercy. His kindness lasts generations, right? Um, well, thanks. I, I should probably wind up there, but um, we're just really, really grateful for the opportunity to tell you what God is doing. I'm incredibly grateful for your partnership with us, um, for the opportunities you've given us. I can't wait to see what God does over the next 10, 20 years as he moves forward. When this happens, it won't be because of anything that we do. We'll have the sidecar. You know, he'll be driving um, the bike because he saves his people. Um, let me pray. And I'll be done. Jesus, we um, are grateful to be in your house and to be with you. We're grateful for the promise that one day we're going to be with you face to face. And you're magnificent and you're glorious and you're beautiful. It may take us tens of thousands of years just to catch our breath after seeing you face to face for the first time. That's how glorious you are. Not only are you glorious and great and magnificent, you, it says that you... you, you um, where do you exist? You exist in the high and holy places, but you also exist close to those who are brokenhearted. You're tender and merciful and compassionate and kind. You're full of love and grace and mercy. And we, we're, we know you that way as well, and we're just so grateful. Thank you for moving ahead of us. Thank you for saving your people. Thank you for allowing us incredible privilege to be a part of it. Um, thank you for your faithfulness to us in our lives. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Several things reverberate through my mind, and I'm sure that we'll rest today. Ashley, thank you. Thank you. Three things, three words. The gospel works. The Bible says his word will not return void. That's his promise. Ashley, along with others at Crew, are getting out the Word of God on campuses. You know, I have hope. I, I think of, perhaps like some of you, some of the things we read in, in the papers or hear on the news about uh, the, the, the major college campuses that are in our area. And sometimes they're not all that flattering, they're not all that good, and we wish they were different. My dear friend, the gospel works. And it may well be that the Lord doesn't have a crew person right now to be reaching somebody that's on a campus. 
It may be that the Lord has me or you to do that. Just to give out God's word. And know his word will not come back to him empty. What a promise. What a promise. Again, Ashley, thank you. And the other men and women who work with you. And Heather on the campus there reaching these students whose needs are great, just as are the needs of anyone who is not yet in the family of God. We know that the Lord um, used lots of people to, um, to lead and to do his work, but thanks to Ashley, um, that vision's expanded to include a power-lifting math professor. <laughs> um, pray with me, please. Father, we're just thankful today that we're here in your presence to worship you. Um, we commend our country to you. We commend um, those that have departed from this world and the one that entered. We lift up to you those that are, um, are suffering under physician's care or will be having procedures soon. We also lift up Ashley and Heather and the girls as they serve you at Penn State University with Crew Ministries, a place that human knowledge is held up as the ultimate. But as the proverb writer tells us, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and they use you um, to use that knowledge for your good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.